there's a lot I could say about Birdie um, personally. I'll probably wait to say some of that tomorrow so we can just turn over the microphone to him tonight. Um, I will say something about his ministry and what I love about his ministry. Um, I'm thinking of a verse in Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. <laughs> and we, we kind of take that, that verse and we've made it into some carnal application about what's the vision for your church. You have to have a vision. And it, it's like what we want to accomplish in the world. And the, the thing I love about Birdie's ministry and one of the things I think that makes it so powerful is that Birdie sees God's vision, right? And so he doesn't come declaring his vision or trying to adopt people into his own vision, but he sees God's vision for people to have life. And he sees what God's done to promise people life and to just, you know, fill them with the safety and the comfort. And so, um, man, it'll be a powerful time tonight. Just let your heart be open to the Lord. Um, the Lord's hand is stretched forth towards all of you tonight to just minister life to you and just, uh, man, receive what God has for you. Bertie, you want to come up tonight? and Bless everyone. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Can I thank you so much, uh, Greg, Becky, that I can be here and for all of you coming out. Thank you for uh, allowing me to wash your feet with the good news of Jesus. Uh, the gospel is about the Lord serving us. And then as you find him serving you, you find that who he is gets born in you, you know, and then you want to serve. And that is why I'm here. I'm here to serve. Greg, I want to thank you for your friendship over the years. You've encouraged me greatly in my life. And, um, you know, there are many times that I said, Lord, thank you uh, for Greg. I feel maybe it's just the two of us. <laughs> you know, I feel, I feel like, that, uh, like that many times. And I mean, our relationship has has been strong for so many years and it's just because greg and i none of us are hot-headed or opinionated at all you know <laughs> it's um <laughs> we so easily understand everything and just uh you know we don't want to make a point and just always see the other one's view and and that that's why um <clears throat> so now with with greg and i the relationship that we've had was and is, uh, I think, of, of such a sort that one can open your heart and say what you believe. And the other one can say, and you can take what you believe and put it in the fire and see if it stands the scrutiny of the scriptures, you know, and of what God is saying. And that is, that is beautiful and powerful. And thank you for that friendship, Greg. I appreciate that. Yep. So, uh, and then for this church for, for help welcoming me. And I think our ministries together is... Uh, we're standing like brothers in doing this, this, this work. That is what the Lord is doing. And uh, I'll find people listen to me. They listen to Greg and vice versa. It's a family. And I'm very grateful for that. Tonight I'm going to talk about um, the gospel of God by promise only. That is the title of the message. The gospel of God by promise only. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your love and your grace. I want to thank you for the goodness that you have expressed towards us. I want to thank you that when you made us, you've had who you are in mind as the source of all life towards us. It started in you. It will be accomplished in you. And thank you, Lord, that you have come to bring that forth in the earth 
and nothing will cause you to repent from what you have set forth to bring forth in this earth. Thank you that we can exist. Thank you that we can be alive to see and feel and touch you, that we can find you for who you truly are and that we can share in your life. Holy Spirit, thank you that you powerfully speak through me today, that whatever I say will be resonating with what you've already said to people. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, I would like to start by just reading 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. He says, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Man, when I say that, I want to cry. <laughs> it is so powerful. He says, remember this, Jesus Christ, the man Jesus, a descendant of David, raised from the dead. Man. Let me read it again. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, the descendant of David. This is my gospel. There's so much, I don't know why I get emotional, man, but it really touches me. The good news has been preached as a message that has got everything to do with where you go when you die. And has got very little to do with God loving people in this earth and Him establishing His kingdom in this earth. And that is why we are at a place where we are running around frantic, looking at what is going on in the world. And we are fearfully looking at this. And we are saying, Lord, you know, what hope is there for us? We look at the world and we see the destruction that is in the world and we are saying, Lord, are we going to perish with us? Well, I can say this. If we look at the destruction that is in the world and the death that's in the world, it is not us perishing. We are of the kingdom of life. We are not dying. We are living. And we need to realize that what, whatsoever is death, whatsoever is destruction, whatsoever is um, uh, not of God does not have eternal life. But we have, and that eternal life is what He's come to bring to this earth. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, reflect on this. And I think we should do that. And I know in this church we are doing it. I know the people that are watching online does this. Uh, but I think this, we, we need to do this and share this with our friends. Reflect on this. Remember this. Jesus Christ raised from the dead a descendant from David. Now why is that important? And then he says, this is my gospel. Because Jesus was born of a woman. He had a mama. You know, we need to think of it that way. He had a mama. Like all of us had. And then he died. Rome exerted all of their, their power on this one man, Jesus. He entered into the grave. And all he did was... He believed the Father, and the Father raised him from the dead, never to die, to live forever. And that is the definition of eternal life. Amazing. Now we, we can, to a certain degree, and I think if we can understand the gospel in that term, we can relate to that. We have a mother. We people in this world, 
We find death pressing in on us. We find death in this world. What do we need? We need someone that can conquer all the death that's in this world, never to die, that can never be corrupted, and he must then be the leader of this planet. And if that can happen, we will have hope. But sadly, uh, the resurrection of Jesus was only preached as an afterthought. It wasn't preached as the gospel. Paul says here, this is my gospel, Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was a normal human being, raised from the dead, never to die. Reflect on this, this is my gospel. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 says, And now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So we find kind of a contradiction here, but it's no contradiction at all. We find Paul says the gospel is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And here it says, prior to the resurrection of Jesus, believe the gospel. For the kingdom of God has now come to the earth. And I think as an introduction, before we get to our definition of promise and how all of that works, we need to understand that when we think of the kingdom of God coming to the earth, and tomorrow I'll talk more about that, but we, when we think of the kingdom of God coming to earth, we must think of basically the old South Africa, where there was the apartheid system and uh, the people were crying out for freedom and then you would find it, it didn't work like this but imagine they were crying out for freedom I, I think a better example would be the jews that were in the concentration camps imagine the jews that were in the concentration camps and they were struggling there and they were suffering there and they would maybe slip out letters to people and saying, we're being murdered here. This is what's going on. The world doesn't know what's going on. And then you will find a secret letter coming in saying, maybe from uh, the UK or from America saying, listen, we will send troops and we're going to deliver you. And then you will find somebody coming into the concentration camp and he would say, you know, I, I look like a Jew, but I'm actually an American. And I am representing the armies. I want to tell you, the kingdom has now come. The rule from the other country that can overthrow this death has now entered this camp. It is now here. And that is what Jesus was saying. He was saying that there is death on the earth, but if you look at the domain of God, the rule of heaven, where people can never die, where, or where God can never die, where there's eternal life, where there's joy and bliss, and what we know would be righteous and good and life-giving, where there is no death, Jesus, when he came to the earth, he walked and he says, I want to tell you, that rule of heaven has now come to this earth. And you know what that rule of heaven will do? I'm now putting in my own words. That rule of heaven will raise a man from the dead. And he will seal him with a full life of heaven. And he will be appointed with all authority on the earth to bring forth the full life of heaven in this earth by his doing. And we just believe, as simple as that, what this world needs, and everybody would agree with me, what this world needs is a leader. If we think politically, what we would want is, if we look just at the political arena, we would want a leader that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be tempted with sin, that, cannot, that can at least keep his promise. 
That will also help, you know. Because you can have the nicest promises, but then you find the inability of the man. If you look in South Africa, you will find a leader come and he, he gets into office and it's almost as if he's, the moment he's in office, it's as if we can call it the deep state or whatever you want to call it. But all of a sudden he's like lame, can do nothing. It's like a death that's upon him. All the promises are gone and everyone is just like the previous one. It's just the same thing. It's, it's because they can't be corrupted. But what if we could have a leader that is above sin, above sinners, that cannot be corrupted with a death that's in this world, that cannot die. He, he, he does not have a four-year term. Then have to beg all the rich and promise all the poor just to get voted in again. One that truly loves us. One that knows our pain. One that knows what the true problem is. That can reach us. You know, the presence of this world, they cannot reach your home. They don't even know where you live. They don't know if you are for them or against them. When, they, when we gather around the leaders of this world, we gather around a people that need us. It's almost like the Mesopotamian gods. If you go and read some of these uh, uh, stories about the Mesopotamian myths, those gods, and this is how some of those stories work, they, the gods were in heaven and then the gods had more gods and then they decided let's make an earth and then some of the gods got a job to dig the rivers you know, and build the mountains. And then some of these gods started to complain because the work is too much. And then there was a revolt in heaven. This is what they believe. And then they said, well, let's make humans. And they took the dust of the earth and make humans to do the work for the gods. Then the humans started to complain because the gods are not answering their prayers. Then you can go and read this. Then they say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to take... Um, then the gods were sitting together saying, these, these humans have got too many prayer requests. They're irritating us. Let us bring a flood. And then these uh, a pantheon of gods sit together, plan a flood and how to murder all of the humans. And then we find the Bible story. And well, then you find one of the gods say, well, if they murder all these humans, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, who's going to worship us? Who's going to do our work? Then one god comes and says, hey, listen, the other gods are planning to murder you, build an ark, you know, so that you can be saved. The Mesopotamian story. But then you find our god story. Our god story is not secretly planning to murder the people. For 120 years, through a righteous preacher, Noah, he begs with the people. And say, listen, you're bringing death upon yourself. My heart is going out for you. I want you to be saved. He comes up with a plan on how to save them. And he wants everybody to enter in there when self-destruction comes. We've got a God that knows our pain. He knows our need. He knows the death that's in this world. And he will remove this death. And he will bring life to us. And we don't have to be afraid. And all of that is by promise. And we need to know that. So when we think of the kingdom of God that comes to the earth, we think of the rule of heaven that comes to this earth. And I've got good news. That rule has come. And it is busy working in the world. Now, I want to uh, talk a little bit about promise. What the word promise mean? The word promise uh, in Latin has basically its roots in saying that 
putting something before the time to show you what will be. In other words, you will say, well, I promise you something. Like, like say, let's say you will say, I promise you a piece of land. Then you'll give them, the guy maybe a bucket of dirt that he can keep as a promise. Something that he can look on, onto on what will be. In the English, promise is often understood as a declaration or an assurance that you will do what you say you'll do. But in the Hebrew, and this is where the powerful thing comes in, in the Hebrew, the term for promise is used and is derived from a, a meaning that talks about trust or to feel secure. This reflects the sense of trust and security that is often associated with a promise. It's basically shalom, to have rest. Now, when God promises man, He promises you so that you can rest. Traditionally, when we think of faith and believe God, it's basically the last resort. It's like, well, it didn't work. Now we'll just have to trust God. You know, it's like the worst thing can, that can happen is if you are at the place where you now must trust God. That is actually a point where you stress about. It's like we just don't want to get to a place where we now only have to trust God. But God looks at man in their distress and then he comes and promises us so that we can rest so that we can stop our own work. That's why God promises. So the Hebrew sense of that word uh, carries with it the security, the trust, the association with shalom, with peace. So if you would have the Almighty God come and promise you something, you should rest. It's supposed to bring rest. But what we have done and what, what, what we've experienced in our lives was almost like faith is something that is a kind of shaky ground. You know, because you don't know if you faith enough so that God can do something for you. You must now believe and have enough faith points in heaven where faith is God saying. And this is where the, fa the word faith comes from. It is basically saying, I present to you my faithfulness as the solution to your problem. My faithfulness. And then the only faithfulness that is on your part is to simply stay faithful to the fact that His faithfulness will bring it forward. That is faith from our perspective. It's where we basically, another word for faith is to plead allegiance to. Where we are saying, well, I look at the problems that's in the world and I throw my weight in with God that has promised that He will do it. And I stand under His promise. And if He brings it forth, it will be so. And if He doesn't bring it forth, then I die. But that is the way. God came to Abraham, and Abraham and Sarah were stressed out. We cannot have kids. They wanted to have children. We need to understand, in their day and age, if you couldn't have children, it means you die out. Your name dies out in the earth. You cease to exist. That's what it would mean. And then God would look at them and have compassion and say, Here are my people. They cannot have children. It's a terrible thing. Let me promise them so they can come to rest. I want them to rest. I want them not to stress in the meantime. I'll bring it forth. And he promised Abraham. In the Greek, it is more of a contract. 
where you bind yourself to a contract, where the faithfulness of the person is not really uh, brought into consideration, but you've got a contract and punishment if you cannot do it. You know, so uh, it's more what we would have in our legal system today, which, which, not, which is not heartwarming. It doesn't rest. You don't rest because you will cut a deal with a guy that's a crook as long as what the contract is tight and he's got possessions you know, then you can get it from him and make sure the thing is like you kind of rest in the contract and not so much in the person. But in the Hebrew, it is about resting in the person, resting in God. So I want you to know this. When you think of the promises of God, your heart must go to rest. That's what it's supposed to be. And if your heart does not go to rest, when you hear that God has promised, then you say to God, God, my heart is not resting. I read the promise. I hear that you've promised, but my heart's not resting. Show me, Lord, who you are, what you've done, until my heart rests. And I want to encourage all of you. You can be here. Greg and I can preach. You're in a church that preaches a very good doctrine, and you hear a lot of truth. But if it doesn't work, don't fake it till you make it. Don't fake it till you make it. Go to God Speak to God and say, I want this to work for me. I want to know you. I want to know what you've done to the point that my heart rests. Because if you've promised, my heart will go to rest. Now, if the promise, let's say you are in a very bad state financially you know, and you really are in a difficult, difficult situation. You're, um, you just have nothing. And somebody come and say, listen, man, I promise you that I'll pray for your flowers in your garden. I mean, well, thank God for the promise, you know, but it's not helping me. <laughs> so the promise must at least relate to your problem. You know, you must have a problem. The, the problem must be what must be solved by the promise. Otherwise, you can still not rest. So if humans has got a problem in this earth, and God comes and makes us a promise, the promise must at least relate to our problem. Because if it doesn't relate to our problem, doesn't matter what God promises us, it's not really going to help. If we are at a place where, I'm getting hot. If God promises us something that doesn't help us, it will not set our minds at rest. Let's put it this way. Let's say you live in this world. This world is flooded with death. This world is flooded with decay. you made from the dust of this earth. You're a part of your being, who you are. You, you cannot actually be who you are without your body. In order for God to save you as a person, He has to also save your body. Otherwise, it doesn't work because you're a, you're a unity between life and dust from the earth to bring you forth. 
Now imagine you're such a person, you're made from the dust of the earth, you live in the earth, everything you think and breathe and do every day has to do with the earth and this world. The people that you love and hug and feel around you, they're all physical. And now God promises you that you can go to heaven. It doesn't really help. I hope you hear what I'm saying. It might be a shocking thing, you know, but if that is the promise, Lord, I'm living in this world. I've got a flesh that wants to dictate to me. I'm at a place where the good that I want to do, I cannot do. I'm at a place where I live in this world and I become older and the things that are in, in my body speaks to me. We live in a world with evil this and evil that. There's so much confusion. And you promise me a cloud in heaven? I don't know how it's going to help me. I need something that can actually enter into my world where I can see that you've got a rulership here that can give me a hope. A hope that is so great that even if I would think of death itself, that fear will leave me. And that my body, the, 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 the physical body itself, will not be anxious. Where the physical body itself will feel Death is even a place where I can say I'm resting in hope. We can never be hopeless. Where you are promised something that can help you. You know, if your car runs out of oil and you need oil and somebody promises you a glass of water, well, thank God, you know, but it doesn't help. And I think so many times our, the, the solution that we've had is we, we are humans and we would think that the solution that we need is we need more money, we need a better house, we need a better car, we need all of those things. But if we ask the question, the true question, we would say, why do we need more money? Why do we want a better car? Why do we want better health care? Why do we want all these things? It's for one reason, and that is people are mortal and they die. That is a problem. That is something that this world really struggles with. And all the wisdom that there is in the world cannot truly solve that problem. What I've seen, and I've read it in some psych psychology books and so, and I believe that it is obviously confirmed in the scriptures. The Bible says that the world and people were in bondage all their life through the fear of death. That's it. And so many people say, well, I'm not afraid to die. Then you simply say, I've, 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 ha I've had this conversation with people. That I, I, they say, I'm not afraid to die. I say, so why? He says, because then I'm just living in heaven. Well, you have not confronted death. You just confronted real estate, where, you've, where you stay. You've still not confronted the thing that your body feels every day. You've still not confronted death. You've still not confronted what Adam was facing. You know, you're still not confronting the, the real thing that people feel every day. And I'll tell you, it's a very difficult thing to preach. Even if I preach it in the church here that knows this message, one can just, in the, if you want to call it like this, in the spirit of the world, feel the tension that there is. Because nobody wants to hear that I can die. 
But what if we can at least acknowledge that and look as if God can make us a promise and prove that He can do what He's promised? Wouldn't then bring us to a place where we can truly have peace with the proof that God has, that God has given, where it will be by God that we can truly find rest. So that we will find that when we look at this world, the place where we live in, that our, our very flesh can come to the place where we feel secure, where we rest. I put it this way, you know, uh, I've, and, and I've, I was honest with God in, in speaking to Him. I said, and I said, God, I want to just say this, I've, I've got a problem. Because I feel I'm happy, you know, you, you've promised me if I die, you know, I go to heaven. That is how I would think about it. And my spirit feels secure. But I am in this world. I need a place to stay. In this world, my car needs fuel. In this world, I need to live. And I don't, it's like I'm, I'm this dualistic thing. An inner man feels okay, but we've got to deal with all these other kind of things. And I don't see your promise there. I don't actually see that God really cares for the earth because in my theology back then is God's just going to burn up the earth and everything's going to be lost. He doesn't really care about this creation. My body is just called a dirt bag anyway. You know, this is just a dirt bag, which is also somehow called the temple of God, which is also somehow called holy and righteous and so forth. Now, Let me just wrap up this introduction part here. The kingdom of God is the rule of God that's come to this earth. And the rule of God that has come to this earth is there, is there to bring forth life to us. And this kingdom of God is the fulfillment and the beginning of the fulfillment of a promise which is supposed to give you rest. Where you as a whole human being can feel rest. Where you can feel in the midst of a world where everything is falling apart, that you can feel, I live not from this world, but I live in this world with a promise for this world, which will be fulfilled by God. That is, that, that is what God has come, and that is what we need to see in the, in, the, in the kingdom of God coming to this earth. You look at Jesus hanging upon the cross in all death, where everything looks as if he's not the Son of God, as if everything that was said is not true, yet hanging there, he believed the Father and he died. The worst happened. But then the Father fulfilled his promise and raised him from the dead, never to die. I just quickly want to read this verse. And now I'm going to explain the promise. You, I think you guys all know obviously where I'm going. It says here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 12, I am the living one. as Jesus appearing to John in a vision. And he says, I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. I was dead but I'm alive forever and ever. What is the voice of everything that goes on in this world? You're gonna die. 
this is not going to work, and you're going to die. But Jesus says, I was dead. In other words, what the world promises. I was there. And look, I'm alive forever and ever. You know, and if you read that, the previous verse, verses, you'll find John uh, seeing Jesus and he hears this voice, this mighty thunder. And imagine you walking outside here, especially in Halloween time, and you see someone with eyes as a fire, a sword coming out of his mouth, feet like brass, light shining out of him and all of that. And his voice is like the, a mighty waterfall and mighty river. Imagine that. I mean, what did John do? He faked his death. He just, the Bible says, and he fell as if he was dead. I mean, if somebody comes in with a gun shooting, I mean, somebody gave a testimony about that. He was in Mexico. He, they were doing worship in the church, you know, and somebody came in with a gun. Start shoot a lot of people in Mexico. The guy was a police officer that did it. And all of a sudden, the guy who saw them, you know, he, 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 he sees this. What does he do? He falls as if he's dead. Because he, th because he knows this one wants to take my life. And here John is, in, I mean, here this vision of Jesus. He doesn't know it's Jesus. He just hears this voice and sees this. Well, this guy's going to kill me, you know. Let me fall dead. But what does he do? He says, he laid his hands on me. He laid his right hand on him and says, fear not. I was dead, but I'm alive. <laughs> so the thing you think you need to do to escape me no I, I can conquer death even, even if you were dead John I can raise you up I've conquered death that is who I am now with that said looking at the promise what has God promised Paul a servant of God an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness I'm in the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began he promised eternal life before the world began yes but in this due time he's manifested his word of promise through the preaching that is committed unto me according to the commandment of god our savior so what is he saying jesus paul said from the beginning god promised us eternal life god promised us that and if we can see God, the Almighty, the one that has eternal life, promises us on this earth that He can give it to us, it's supposed to bring us peace. It's supposed to bring shalom, true peace into our hearts. But I think we've, there's a great deal of not understanding what eternal life truly is. Here we find Jesus Christ, He has eternal life. He says, I'm the living one, I was dead, and look, now... I'm alive forevermore. So how was eternal life defined in Jesus? You find a man born from a woman that died, that was raised from the dead, and God brought his rule into this earth. That is it. By whom? By God promising Jesus. And Jesus, when he was dying in all sin, he did nothing to remove it. He simply believed the Father, and the Father removed all death and all sin from him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that, we ha that He has promised us, even eternal life. <laughs> what has God promised us? Eternal life. How does eternal life look? Very simple. A man lives, and he dies, and he's raised, and he never dies. It's made to whom? To people. 
on the earth. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to pop into eternal life tomorrow and I'm going to just start to live forever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God has promised that. And if He has promised that, I don't have to try and gather life unto myself from all things. I don't have to gather life from the news media. I don't have to gather life from what happens to in circumstances around me. And I can promise you, I've been through a rough time in the last five years. I don't have to gather life from those things. I find life from God that has raised Jesus from the dead and He's promised me and He gives it to me. Why would it be by promise? And I think that's a very important point. Romans 4 verse 15, Because the law works wrath, for where the law is, there's no transgression. Therefore, it is by faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. So it says that He doesn't do it by the law, but by grace so that the promise can be sure to all of us. So God says it's not going to be by your works, otherwise it's not sure. I want it to be sure. That's why I promise you and I will do it and I will bring it. And I'm not just talking about a good job and a business and so forth. I'm talking about what we could not pray or think or imagine. That God will do. That God will do. Now, if we look at this world and we look at this, th this world as a place where we dwell. Now, I want to just say this. I said it to two people before the service. If we think for a moment, if we can just imagine that the only place humans can live forever is on the earth. Then we will start to worry about this earth in the sense of, well, there's death here. Things are not looking right. Is there anybody that can conquer the death of this world? And then if we scan through history, we'll find about 2,000 years ago, there was a guy that was raised from the dead. And we will say, ha, there's something that's happened in this earth that can mean something for this world, that can set things right, that can bring order, that can bring life to us. Because what's happening in this world, there's no order. People don't know if they're male or female. And I'm not saying in a mocking way. People don't know how to call themselves. They don't know that there's so much disconnect in this world. People are given over to a reprobate mind. They don't know how to live because there is no hope. And I want to say that, uh, uh, friends, I've traveled through the U.S. for many years. And about, I think I've been coming here for 13 years or so. In this time is the most Time is the time when I feel the, the, the greatest despair in the people in the U.S. I feel a hopelessness. People feel they have no hope. It's a fear and anxiety. And I think that the, our gospel must be a gospel where we can say, even if we look at these things, is there a place in history where everything went so bad or in future? Is there any promise that can help us, that can bring true hope? If you look at Jesus and what happened to him when he was hanging upon that cross, we need to understand that Jesus and the people around him lived at the foot of the cross. And what I mean by that is not at the foot of the cross is what we think at the foot of the cross. They lived at the foot of the cross the way, in a very dreadful way. Because Rome, they were called like, uh, I mean, they were colonizing many people groups of people and they were called the Prince of Peace because you will find all these little groups fighting with one another and they came in with a big army and they will say to the people listen we colonize you we either bring in our army and you become part of us or you willingly 
give us everything and then you can keep your land and still farm there and still live there. We'll just tax you and in exchange for that, we'll bring a road and we'll buy your produce. Then, uh, and if you don't, we kill you. So then they would say, okay. And then Rome would say, we are the prince of peace. You see, these, these groups are not fighting anymore with each other. We brought peace. We brought harmony. But if you just say anything against Rome, what do they do? They give you high and lift it up. They put you on a cross and put you next to a main highway that you bleed out, that the birds eat your flesh in the presence of everybody walking and looking. That's death in the streets, man. I've been... Greg and I we went down here to New Orleans. We walked a bit there. I haven't been here during the Mardi Gras, but that's got nothing to do with Rome and its crucifixion. I can promise you. Nothing. You can maybe find some people that cannot really dress or, or whatever, or you can find some people being drunk and people on drugs and people making music and painting some things you can find there. But Rome was a different story. When Spartacus, some of you have heard me preach this, when Spartacus rebelled against Rome, they took 6,000 soldiers, crucified them every 20 meters next to the main road between Rome and Naples for 120 miles. Imagine that. And that is the main road where everybody has to walk. And they left them on, the, on those crosses, didn't give them a burial, they hang there until the birds eat the flesh of the bone. The cross was powerful. Very powerful. You don't mess with Rome. If you were some kind of a, uh, uh, like you would think of Jesus, if they would say, well, he's a king of the Jews, then they would say, okay, let me show you how a Jewish king look in the presence of us. Just kill him. That's what they would do. If somebody was like a noble man that did many good things and he then started to rebel against Rome, they'll just paint his cross white. Nail him. If you, if you stand up against Rome. Now, what would break the power of Rome? Is if their power, which is death, is exercised on a person and is raised from the dead never to die. <laughs> that's what Jesus did he was betrayed by his own people murdered put upon a cross Rome was showing the world who they are and there Jesus dies upon the cross he's put in a grave there's evidence of his death and he's raised from the dead where on the earth giving hope to whom? to people in the earth, to the point that the Christians said, I'll preach this message of what this man has done, and even if you kill me, it's okay. He is very good at raising the dead. Once you're gone and not there anymore, I'll be raised and will continue with what God has uh, uh, promised for this world. He's promised eternal life. And I think if we can have that in our minds and have it imprinted in our minds, and I think it's good that I preach it over and over because it took the Lord eight or nine years to get my mind to where I see it the way I see it now. 
If we can see that and we can believe that and our hearts can be persuaded of that, our flesh will rest. Circumcision and the law and following all these commandments will never put your flesh to rest. Where your flesh can truly rest in hope. Where you know our God is not just a spirit somewhere, but He has brought His promise into this world, made it flesh. It dwells among us. We can see what He's promised. He's brought it to this world. And no death that's in this world, no cross that's in this world, can compare to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and that He is is Lord over me. Hallelujah. Read this again. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. It is of faith that it might be by grace. It's of faith, the faithfulness of God, and we resting in His faithfulness so that it might be by grace. What is grace? Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of His prisoner, but um, be partakers in the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So He promised us, and purposed before the world began that it will be by His grace. So grace is not, is not something that kicked into action once man sinned. Grace was before man sinned. Before the world began, there was grace. And what grace means, it's simply the power of God by which He establishes His purpose in this earth. That's what grace is. So we live by grace, by the power of God. So he says, it is not of works, but it's by grace which was given us before the world began. So God promised before the world began, Paul says, I am an apostle and I'm in the hope of eternal life, which God promised before the world began. And it is by promise so that it can be by grace and not our works. Why? So that it can be certain. Now I hope as you hear all these words that you start to feel a rest. That's all I want to establish tonight. That you just feel in the presence of the promise a rest. That things will be okay. That God can give eternal life. And that that promise is sure in Christ. And even while we maybe see Him still working, it doesn't mean that He's not doing it. You need to understand in 1 John chapter 3, it says, Now are we the sons of God, but what we are might not yet appear. But when He appears, it says here, we'll see Him as He is, for we will be as He is. So what is His work? He's taking what is already in us and it will appear. The Bible says, the world doesn't know us, for it has not known Him. Isn't it? So who you are, you're like Him. And because the world didn't know Him, that's why they don't know you. But it doesn't mean if the world doesn't acknowledge you, that you are not there. We don't wait for an acknowledgement and for the scraps that falls from uh, the president's table for the church. We don't wait for that. We don't wait for uh, somebody to acknowledge the church as something. The world will never know us. 
But we know that He knows us. And we know all things in Him. We are already what God says we are, and it shall, uh, and, and what He has promised shall manifest. And we judge ourselves according to what God says is already true. Therefore, when we don't see the full manifestation of those things, it doesn't matter. Because we know now are we the sons of God, and then in the day of Christ we will be revealed as the sons of God. Like Jesus, was he the son of God before uh, when he walked the earth? Yes. And then God raised him from the dead. Nobody knew him as the son, but father raised him from the dead. And then the father says, you see, he is my son. And that is what God has promised you. That is what God has promised you. I mean, we are humans. We find our problems. You can, I mean, my wife and I, we never fight. So I don't know if you guys will, maybe some of you, we never disagree, but um, it happens to people in counseling that I speak to, you know, so that's why I can. <laughs> you can find everything goes well, then there's a, maybe an argument or a disagreement or someone's upset or one of your sons has done this or that or it's like, you know, those contradictions, it's just seeming contradictions. And we don't live from that. We don't live from that. We live from the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Amen. Now, and I need to read that one in Timothy that I put it in here. Let me go quickly. I've, I don't know why I didn't put it in the notes here. Second Timothy chapter 1. Listen to Paul. Excuse me, I've got Thessalonians. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ. He says, I'm an apostle, according, in the in, in NIV says, in step with the promise of life that there is in Jesus Christ. We're not sitting in a hopeless situation. Paul was an apostle according to the promise of life. What did Paul define as life? He defined life as resurrection. Now, here's a radical example. And um, I mean, I've, I've used this example in several places. In one place, somebody said that is what has happened to them. Now, I want to just say this. I don't mean any of this disrespectfully. And please just see the power of the example. If I would come to you, if you think of Jesus Christ dying upon the cross, for instance, nobody went celebrating when Jesus said and died and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Nobody went and said, Hallelujah, he's with the Father, our Jesus reigns. No. It was a time of confusion and sadness. They were saying, they, were, they took him down if you just read the writings, there was no joy. They were hiding. They were afraid. Mary went to put some spices on the body. They were crying. They were sad. Who will remove the stone? Very difficult situation. Nobody was happy when Jesus died. The words, into your hands I commit my spirit, meant nothing to the people. Well, if it meant something, it didn't mean enough to be recorded in the scriptures. It wasn't good news. Was it good news? It was not good news. If I, 
if you have a child and he walks out here and a car runs him over and he dies and I come in here and I say to you, listen man, I've got good news. Your child's in heaven. Will you be happy? There's no joy. It doesn't satisfy the, what we know is real and true in this world. But if I come to you, after that has happened, and I raise him from the dead, and I present him to you, would that be good news? That is absolute good news. And we find it in the gospel. When Jesus died under the power of the politics of this world and the power of Rome, we find the promise of God that was from the beginning becoming flesh, living amongst us. And we see what He's promised. He took His word and put it on display. He put it in human flesh. He put it under the rulers of this world and all their power and politics and army and sword and everything. And everything we fear, He puts it on display and the worst then happens, he dies. And it's a sad moment. The disciples had to think, well, you know, we need to find another Messiah. He was not the Messiah. We thought that he's going to set the, uh, Jerusalem free. We're going to be. It's not the case. The man has died. And then Mary went. They went to the grave. They found Jesus was raised. They come to the disciples. They say to them, Jesus was raised. They were happy. Their faces were shiny, you know. I'm thinking, when I see that, I'm thinking of Becky. You know, when, when, you know if, if you tell her something good about the Lord, her face just like shines, you know, like that. It's like, I see Mary like that, her, her face shining with life. You know, J Jesus was, he's raised. They didn't believe her. Then Jesus appeared to two other people on the way to Emmaus. He went back to Jerusalem. It says, tell the disciples to meet me. I've been raised. Jesus appears to them. They didn't believe. Then He appears to them. Then He rebukes them for the hardness of heart and unbelief. And then He says to them, those who believe, believe what? That He was raised. I mean, the disciples went from there Jesus had to put the brakes on them and tell them, you don't go anywhere until you've been endued with power. You know, because there was some excitement in them. There was good news. What was the good news? It was not a good news that was outside of the realm of this earth, this world, where God could enter into our darkness, into the depth of what is real and true for us. Where His Word is defined in human flesh. He says, those who believe, these signs shall follow them. Signs of what? Signs that Jesus was raised from the dead. And what are those signs? You'll find demons will be cast out. And one of the signs is sick people will be healed. What does that mean? It's a prophecy that Jesus was, or a sign that Jesus was raised and that He can heal the flesh and the broken world. And He can heal this broken world to the point that it is the fullness of the glory of heaven manifesting in this world. And we should not lose hope. We've a ho we're not a hopeless church. The Bible says even we are born again unto a new and living hope. And we've always defined that new and living hope as going to heaven. But I want to tell you, we are not... We wanted to think of heaven is our destiny. The earth is heaven's destiny. 
That's, what Je- that's how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray this, our Father which art in heaven. Some say, I'm saying there's no heaven. Well, if you say that, you lie. The Bible says, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Okay, so, Father, you are in heaven. You are the eternal, immortal. You are the one. You are Yahweh. You are the self-existing one. You are, what it means, your name, uh, hallowed be your name. It means, may your name, which means eternal life, from everlasting to everlasting, may that be glorified in seen. This is how it will take place. Your kingdom of life come. That's how the Lord taught us to pray. That is the Lord's prayer. That is our Messiah. That is the Word of God became flesh that dwelt amongst us that taught us how to pray. That's how we pray. Your kingdom come. And then we have to to ask ourselves, what is the kingdom? It's the rule of life. Coming where? To earth. Why? Because God always wanted to live with His people. That's what he always wanted. John chapter 1. Man, I hope you're not in a hurry. This is a very, very powerful passage. I'm going to, I mean, you know, there is great wisdom in the scriptures. There are different angles at which we can look at the scripture. And I want to present a specific angle here. And by saying this, I don't want you to think that I'm just saying that Jesus Christ is just a thought in the mind of God or just a promise or something like that. But I want to just bring that perspective in here so that you can just see something that was in the heart of God for us as humans. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and this Word was God. Now, what was this Word? This be- in the beginning. In the beginning was, this, was the Word. Now, we would all say that in the beginning was uh, Jesus. And we would think of the second person in the Godhead. And we think of John 17 talking about the glory they had with the Father from before and so forth. But I want to take that John chapter 1 verse 1, where it talks about creation, thinking of the, in the, the beginning. And I want to link it to 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled, as pertaining to the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. So, what was with the Father, First John? Eternal life. And now he says, we had a word of eternal life. What was that word? It's a word of promise. It's a word of promise. He says, I am, Paul says, I'm in the hope of eternal life, which God has promised. So what did he give us in the beginning? In the beginning he gave us his word. What is his word? It's his promise. It is promise. So it began with a promise. There was never supposed to be a place of not having peace. Always. God has never designed man that we should not live in peace. 
That's why he first makes the promise, then he makes man, and I'm going to go to the Garden of Eden house, look there. He makes man, puts him in a place where everything talks about the promise, so that man can be in peace, so that he can do his work. That's how it works. <laughs> we face a God that promises, that can fulfill his promise. He's not a man that he should lie. And then we think that, oh, I, I tell you, I, I do believe, you know, sometimes the Lord say to me, Bertie, I'll do this or there'll be a prophetic word. I spoke to, to Greg about this prophetic word we've had. And let me just give you, just, just to say this, it's a bit off the point, but just to say that I'm not saying that God cannot say to you, man, tomorrow you'll have a business or another job or those kind of things. I mean, those kind of words are there in the world. I remember years ago, I was living in a town called Potchestrum and I was in Bible school and I just got into the grace message. And I'm so happy God is not angry. You know, I'm so happy that God is not looking at my sin and so forth. And then there was a guy, Herman Mira is his name. And he came to me and he was like a prophet. And he came and one day we, I was there at his house and he put his finger in my face like I mean, we were good friends. Both, both, both of us were petrol heads, you know, love cars and whatever. And he puts his finger in my face. He says, thus is the Lord. I see a big ship. And this ship is sailing from Durban Harbor to sail the seven seas of the world. He says, but the winds pushes her down to Cape Town. And it harbors there on the west coast. Not far from where I live today. He says, then I saw the hand of God come. And God destroyed the ship. And he breaks the planks. And you just hear nails. I see pain. That's what he prophesied. I said, no. <laughs> not a word from God. I see it. And then he said, I see a small hole left. And then I saw him taking the finest wood. And he rebuilt this whole ship. And he takes his time. And he builds the most beautiful ship. And then it sailed the seven seas of the world. You know. Now today... I think we're at the end of the building of that ship. There might be some planks outstanding. But there is words, and I can see how that becomes true. And maybe the filter through which he said it was from a legalistic law point. But God can still speak. God can still have a word for us today. I've seen many of those words where God gives a word, this here, this there, and so forth. So know this. I'm not saying that there's no such a thing as a prophetic word or a word of encouragement and so forth. But I don't think that is what we live by. We're living by this word, which he said, in the beginning there was the word. What word? The word of promise. If you say God gave me his word, what word did he give? He started by giving his word. And this word was the word of eternal life that was with the Father. John said, they didn't know what this word would look like. 
But they said that which God has promised, which is only with God, eternal life, which is God Himself, we saw it become flesh. We handled the resurrected Jesus. We ate with Him. We hugged Him. We felt Him. We find that what God has promised, which was only in the domain of the heavens, which is that which is eternal and beautiful that cannot die, it has entered this world. It has become true that we can feel it and touch it and handle it. It says in verse 2, it says, For this life was manifested and we saw it and we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and is manifested unto us. Now, I'm going to end off with this. He says, All things were made by Him and without Him nothing was made that was made. We read it like this, In the beginning was God's promise God's word or promise of eternal life. And this word was with God. Now let me explain that. That means, there's different ways of saying it, means face to face with God and so forth. But I want you to look at that word with a little bit different. One can say, I put a nail into the wall with a hammer. It's the thing you use to do it. So you can say, in the beginning was God's promise of eternal life. And this eternal life that God promised would be manifesting this earth with God. Not your works. It's with God. It's by God. And what He promises is Himself. In the beginning, God promised eternal life. This eternal life that will be in the earth will be by eternal life. And what He promises is Himself. Then he says, everything that was made, was made for that purpose. That means the planet, the earth, the soil, your body, the sun, the moon, the stars, the cosmos, everything was made by that promise and for the purpose of having that promise fulfilled here. <laughs> and we want to go somewhere. Where do you want to go? Everything that was made in this earth was made by the promise and for the purpose of fulfilling that promise. The sun, the moon, the stars, the cosmos, the planet, the oceans, the sea, everything was made. God said, okay, I want to give eternal life. I'm going to use my life. I'm going to bring forth an earth. I make man from the dust of the earth. I bring them forth. As they are alive and they have a mind, will, and emotion, I want them to choose me. I want them to want this. I present myself to them. I hope they accept me. I hope that. I don't want them to die and return to the dust of the earth. I want to give them life. Then, he, then as that happens and comes forth, then we kind of think, well, is God still working in the earth? Is He still doing something? Oh, we find a man raised from the dead, never to die. No, we, we now see God's promise. You know the very kingdom of God, the rule of life, by which He promised, we found, we see it can be done, it has been done. And then this man that he raised from the dead is not just an example. He's the one that is appointed to see that what is true in him happens in you. Isn't that powerful? In the beginning was the promise. Can never be by works. It's always by promise. He's promised you life. But Lord, look at what has happened. 
Now in South Africa, we have these blackouts where there's no electricity. Now, I don't know if you can imagine that. Maybe here in, with the floods, you know, you can imagine that. Now, that is when there's a flood, you'll maybe have a, a week or two without electricity. I don't know how long it can go. Some places, maybe not even. But in South Africa, they'll have a nationwide power cut for six to eight hours a day. Now imagine that. As you go to a nice city like Cape Town, two million people live there, and they switch half of the city's electricity off for four hours. You try and drive there. You know, after a while, it's not so bad. <laughs> I think it's quicker because now you had to wait for the traffic light, now everybody just goes. <laughs> you find that it's kind of an order in the chaos. You look at all those things and you find someone was raised from the dead. The death in this world loses its voice. That's what's happening. This is what this message has done for me. The death in this world loses its voice because my God has promised and he's promised the unimaginable and there's an historic fact of it that it became true. How did God start? He planted the garden. After he planted the garden, he put fruit trees there so that we could eat of that, so that we can live. He did everything. He didn't get us to dig the rivers. He dug the rivers. He did everything. Then he put a garden there where he can dwell with man in the earth. And that whole garden there, the tree of life, is God's promise of life. He says to them, don't eat of your own ability. Don't try and find life by your own effort. I promise you. Can you see how it was a promise? Then he leads them out of the, out of the desert, out of the, uh, Egypt, in the desert. He presents himself. This is who I am. I specialize in removing burdens. I specialize in giving life. I specialize in taking iniquity. Your, where you find life by your works, I specialize in taking that away. How do you take someone's works away? You promise him what he's working for. Isn't it? That's how you take works away. And what are people working for? Very simple. They're trying to make a living. They want to live. Want to make a living. And God says, I promise you a living. An eternal living. He promised us. Well, with that introduction... I literally just did the introduction. But there's so much to say about this if you think of how God loves us. I think this is a good way to end this. This is one of my favorite verses. You know, when they change the things. Psalm 103. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His mercy towards him that fear Him. Or let me read from a little bit back. 
He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And there's a whole sermon just in there. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. And just a side note, the Bible says in Psalm 33 verse 18, that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, who expect His unfailing love. That's what it means to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord doesn't mean I'm afraid. To fear the Lord means that you are expecting His loving kindness. That's how you honor God. It's because why would... What did Adam do? Adam came to a point where he was not fearing God. He's not expecting loving kindness from God. He wasn't expecting God to fulfill His promise. He thought he can fulfill the promise of God by himself. That is it. didn't fear the Lord anymore. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wisest thing to ever do starts with expecting God's love for you. That's how it works. Now it says here, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that expect his loving kindness. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. For the wind passes over the dust and it's gone. And the place that, excuse me, um, for, uh, for, as a ma for as for a man, his days is like the grass, as the flower of the field. So he flourishes, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and the place shall, be, shall, shall remember it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I hope you see eternal life. Eternal life from everlasting to everlasting is the mercy of the Lord. So what God has said, I have made you from the dust of the earth and I've never forgotten that. So never will I expect from dust to do anything as pertaining to producing life in itself. Who of you can take a cup of dust and you can say to this dust, listen, dust here, make a plant. Or, dust, produce a car. It would be crazy. Maybe the, the, the stuff is in the dust, but you have to make it. So that is what God is saying from the beginning to Adam. You are dust. I like it when God, if I think of the name God gave Adam, He named him after the dust of the earth. Adam means of the earth. You are dust. Every time you would say, Adam, Adam, you would say, I cannot, I cannot. When I brush my hair and I see the gray hair, then I say, I cannot, but he can. He's promised me. It's only by promise. I remember that I am dust, and he remembers it. Therefore, if he wants me to live forever, he says, I have to make what is forever available to all of them, and my mercy is available from everlasting to everlasting. He's promised you His mercy. It is by promise that it can be sure and forevermore. And the promise is towards us in this earth so that we can feel safe. 
Amen. Amen. Are there any questions? Any questions? My wife knows everything. <laughs> I don't know a bunch. We talk about Jesus now. Now, at the crucifixion, nobody was raised. Yeah, I think when, when we look at when we look at the thief, when are, are you seeing that as the resurrection? Well, he was there on the cross. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you when you come into your kingdom. Okay. When did Jesus come into His kingdom? When will He come into His kingdom? What What is that? How How is that? I'm, I just think, we, let's, let's look at the verse. I'm not saying it will not be. I'm just saying let's look at the verse in its context because we are reading things into the text that's not written there. Because if Jesus says, uh, think of me when you come into your kingdom, you know, or one can also say when your kingdom comes, you know, when you come into your kingdom, think of me. Then Jesus says, surely I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This, some scholars say, it says, Surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, when we look at that, we find the resurrection, in the resurrection, you know, when Jesus, I mean, Jesus was raised from the dead, and so will the man that was next to Jesus be raised from the dead. So we can say, well, he's with Jesus in paradise. Then we can define what is paradise. Paradise is the place where those who have the hope of the resurrection is. Then they will be raised from the dead, in the last day and I've discussed that with Greg as well you know Greg I said to you that there is a concept that resurrection is when you die you know and that is what I mean I've been taught you know the, the idea that there was is that when a person die he's resurrected and that uh, that time period of death until resurrection many people think of that is going to heaven and they confuse that with a resurrection the resurrection by the Jewish people of that time and the early church was understood as defined by Jesus. Jesus died and then he would say, my, uh, ha my life is in the hands of the Father in the very same way as what that thief there, the equivalent to Jesus. As what I am now, as Jesus would be in paradise, awaiting the resurrection so this person would be in paradise the place where you would say those that have died await the resurrection so they are now awaiting resurrection then jesus was raised from the dead and that other guy is still waiting to be raised from the dead and the resurrection for jesus was he died he was buried and then he was raised how resurrection is defined is this no more bones in the grave that's how he defined resurrection. That means he died and he was resurrected, made alive again. And I think what in, in the church we've, we've put the focus on, and this is what I say, if a person has died, and we need to understand this, however one want to describe this, what we would call the interim period, 
from the day that you've died until the resurrection, that period of time. As long as what we think of that period of time as a period of time where you are describing the condition of a person that has died. Because he has not been raised yet. That is a condition, be it in bliss in heaven, or be it, as some would believe, sleeping in the grave, whatever it would be. Paul, the word Paul would use for people that has died, he says those who sleep in Christ, you know, or those who have resting in Christ. That is what he would define it as. And then, that, that is not what God has promised. What God has promised is resurrection, as defined in Jesus. An empty grave, no bones in the grave. You can feel him, touch him. Like Jesus would say, touch me, it is I, I am alive. You know, so I think that is what we need to look at when we think of resurrection. We can define resurrection. I don't think it is correct, biblically correct, to define resurrection as going to heaven. Resurrection is when someone is raised from the dead. That is what resurrection is. Like somebody's child dies, it's not good news if you say to him, well, he's now in heaven. Well, to a certain degree, it would be good news because you would feel that there's hope for him for the resurrection. And then he will be raised and he will be raised as Jesus was raised. So that the purpose that God has, which was to create an earth where his life can be, that we can find that that takes place. The message that I am uh, uh, preaching, I believe, should it be correctly understood, will bring great hope for people in this world because it does not exclude our physicality but it actually revolves around our physicality as demonstrated in Jesus now as Christians and as uh, as Christians and as some Gnostic Christians would also say they will say well you know the spiritual part is what is important for me well be it as it may I'm just saying if I take the scripture and we look at what the early church believed and what was seen in Jesus, I would rather say, I'm going with that. That is what makes, I mean, what is, what's, what's clear in the scripture. If we want to define what eternal life is, here's a man that died and was raised. If we want to define what resurrection is, let's look at Jesus. He's God's word. He's the word on resurrection. So you want to define resurrection? Here's Jesus. Here's the word. A man born from a woman that died and then was bodily raised from the dead. You know, I'm not trying to take heaven away. I'm trying, or I don't want to try, I'm declaring heaven is coming to earth. That's what I'm saying. We're not taking heaven away. We're bringing heaven close. We're bringing it here. We're talking about a God that can enter our world and give us life. Does that answer your question? Okay, good. You've got a question there? No. Okay. You can think of one. <laughs> I've seen you online. I've seen you online. You can think of ten. <laughs> yeah. So I just think if we just, when it comes to the afterlife, I think it is like when a person dies, it's like a scary thing. Uh, if I die now, where do I go? It's like a fearful thing in our heart. You know, it's like an uncertainty. What I'm saying is this. If I've died now and my body's in the grave, whatever condition you are describing here, you're still describing the condition of a man whose body's in the grave. Know that. That's what you're still busy. You're still describing a man that has died. 
That's what you're describing. The man that has died in Christ, he's got eternal life and he shall be raised from the dead. That's why he's got eternal life. So how does eternal life look uh, for a human that has died? He's got the hope to be raised. How did eternal life look for Jesus when he died? He couldn't have corruption. Therefore, it was not, uh, uh, death could not hold him. He had to be raised. So now with that said, well, however we want to describe the interim period, we need to know uh, uh, when we look at my spirit, where it is or so forth. It is a speculation. We can say it's a speculation. We can look at absent from the body, present with the Lord, what all of that means. I mean, there's, there's different views. I've got my, my reasoning about how I see some of those scriptures. But whatever we describe there is not the end goal. We're describing the life of a person. Be in heaven, be walking on streets of gold, or be uh, sleeping in the grave, whatever it is. You're still describing a dead man's life. If you, want to, if you understand what I'm saying. That is not the goal. And I think we as the church, we got stuck there. And if we cannot, we need to get over that hurdle. And when we can get over that hurdle, we can see the kingdom of God coming to this earth. That, and and I, I can just testify, my wife can testify, the absolute peace this brings. We find God has promised. And all of a sudden, I don't feel He's promised a certain part. I feel that promise engulfed every part of me. Amen. As you and I talked, we, I had told you many, many people told me, I hope I get to heaven. Mm. Um, what a beautiful thing is to know in your heart that you are. You Heaven's to coming to her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Amen. Seymour, so like my grandfather, he believed on the Lord, right? We buried him, right? Whatever way you think about him being with the Lord or him being asleep in the Lord, if we went and dug up his grave, his body would still be there, right? And so you can't remove from Christianity the promise that that body that was sown in corruption will be raised in incorruption. And if we lose sight of that, that's actually the power to bring peace to our mortal body while we're in this world now. Yeah. Right? And so if we, we leave it with just the paradise, like even if we say that thief was in paradise, Whatever way you want to describe the paradise, I promise you, like four days later, you could find his body. In of a course. Bed, right? And that body still had the certainty of being raised. And apart from that certainty, the gospel becomes neutered yeah. right, to a mortal body in this earth. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Right. And this body, see, this body needs the safety that comes from knowing it will be it is safe right? yeah and this this human needs the safety that comes from knowing this world will be glorified the reason we get so upset with the things going on in the world yeah. is because we don't want harm to come to the world yeah it bothers us to think harm is coming to the world and we want to know that the world is going to be made whole it's going to be saved death is going to be removed mm. and the physicality of the resurrection of jesus is what is meant to minister that to us yeah but we've kind of like shoved that in the closet and made it about going to heaven there's nothing wrong with going to heaven it's not evil to go to heaven and certainly we can describe there's some bliss in in the heavens but if we 
if we preach that for the detriment of this, we're causing ourselves and the people in the world to fear. Mm. We're causing them great harm. Right? Yeah, I think I want to just say it this way. This can also help. I was saying, Lord, you know how? Because I would preach this, preach the resurrection, and I had some some preacher friends of mine say to me, "But so what? You know about? I'm just happy with the spiritual part of it. Why is this?" important then this is the this is the question we can ask if jesus was not bodily raised would there be a church today now that answers the question for everybody <laughs> if he was not bodily raised there's no church there's no hope they will and that's why it says you you will still tomorrow i'm going to preach on that you'll be dead in your sin if jesus wasn't raised he was raised and now it's like greg beautifully said there if we take that part away then we will look at this earth and we'll feel the injustice of this earth and what will we use we'll use our own willpower and our own wits to try and fix this and as we do that we bring a weight upon us that we cannot bear and we destroy our own lives very great question thank you for that